Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, I'm Sarah Pascoe. Hello, I'm Carrie Lloyd. And we're weird about books. We love to read. We read too much. We talk too much. About the too much that we've read. Which is why we've created The, the Weirdos, Weirdos Book Club. Club. Join us! A space for the lonely outsider to feel accepted and appreciated. A place for the person who'd love to be in a real book club, but doesn't like wine or nibbles. Or being around other people. Is that you? Join us. Check out our Instagram, at Sarah and Cariad's Weirdos Book Club, for the upcoming books we're going to be discussing. You can read along. And share your opinions. Or just skulk around in your raincoat like the weirdo you are. Thank, Thank you for reading with us. We, we like reading with you. This week's book guest is Really Good Actually by Monica Heisey. It's a Sunday Times best-selling, hilarious debut novel about one woman's search to find her way through divorce, late-night Googling and dating apps. But why is it in the Weirdos Book Club? Well, Really Good Actually follows Maggie, who at 29 finds herself trying to embrace her life as a surprisingly young divorcee, while surrounded by friends planning their weddings, buying flats and settling down to be proper adults. This book is for anyone who does not naturally bond with being a grown-up. In this episode, we talk about heartbreak, karaoke, Harry Styles, how great Geminis are, Bridget Jones, and extreme makeovers. Welcome, Monica Heisey. Oh my God, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're very excited to have you. Uh, Today's book guest is really good, actually, by Monica Heisey, and it the book has very kindly brought along its mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you feel like it's your child? Um, maybe like an uncomfortable friend that I've been talking about for too long. Oh, nice. Ah, okay. You know, like um, it's the one thing people know about you. You're like, oh, that's my more popular friend. Oh. <laughs> so everyone's oh. like, oh, you know, really good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, hey, yep. And I'm here as well. And they're like, no, we only want to talk about really good, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're doing so well. <laughs> They have been an international bestseller. <laughs> so how you feel? And then you're like, oh, I'm what happy for her. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy for. Do are you meeting strangers who feel like they know you a little bit, a bit I, too familiar? I've been getting a lot of. Um, I get a lot of DMs. I think something very that I hadn't anticipated, but maybe should have about writing about heartbreak, is that it's people who are heartbroken are so open. And they just want to share so much. So I'm getting a lot of DMs and also at like signings and stuff. People will be like, a a woman came to me in a cafe the other day, just like really conspiratorially leaned in Mm. and said, I just left my husband. (laughs) And I was like, God, I hope she's read the book. (laughs) (laughs) She's just whispering it to people. Yeah. Yeah. Just telling people in the cafe. I haven't told my mother yet, but I wanted you to know. (laughs) When you are heartbroken, it is the lowest your confidence gets. Now, that's an interesting point and that okay. is something that I obviously as someone who writes about grief mm-hmm. and this comes up in the mm. book of like what can we call grief yeah Carrie gets people whispering to her in cafes I just killed my husband <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. well I get people going, going my dad just died and you're like oh uh hi um like, cheers to the bottomless brunch everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should not have booked this they're crying um but that's really interesting that you say that about heartbreak because I also think grief massively affects your confidence Mm. so I think there's a really interesting crossover in this book which you do come up against of like what do we get to classify as grief like divorce versus like physical death because some people get quite funny about grief um divorce being classified as grief but it is a grief 
it's what Julia Samuel would call a living loss. Yes. Rather than like literally someone dying. It's because, the, you know, like, and I know this isn't true, but when people used to say like Inuits have 50 words for snow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'd go, well, that sounds like too many. <laughs> but grief is, is it, we need more grief words. Yeah, we oh, could do with a couple more. So we, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, add to the language of it. Because totally. otherwise we're using, I remember you once telling me that people, because I was infertile for a really long time, like, oh, the people who haven't been able to have children, it's a form of grief. Yeah. And I thought, you're just using someone else's words. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> but like that's just going, but that's don't have anything it better. It covers so much. And so, sorry, it's mm. not like I jumped on your point because you were saying it's the lowest your confidence can get. Mm-hmm. But that also is when you're, if you have someone you love close to you has died, often people say you have no confidence mm. because you feel like you can't trust the world. So right. that's when it comes to like death. You're like, you can't, how can I go out and be, hey, I, this is who I am when like someone around me could just disappear. And it's the same thing. I think it's heartbreak mm. is like, how can I be me when the thing I trusted is, is gone. I think maybe what I meant is that nothing is going to make this situation worse. So when you have some confidence, you think, oh, would I engage with a stranger? What if they don't want to speak to me? I would lose something. <laughs> mm. But when you have nothing left to lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Maggie gets into a state like that called haha, so what? Where it's, and I definitely felt this way at the height of my kind of post-divorce feeling of like, well, what's what's going to happen? What's going to happen that's that's more terrible than this? You know, I think with like proper actual loss, loss, where it's not a living loss, it's a regular loss, you lose confidence in the world around you because you're like, oh, the worst thing possible could happen and it could happen at any time. With this particular thing, you sort of feel like you've done it to yourself. So you almost enter this weird, slightly manic, kind of like bulletproof state where you're like, I could do anything because I'm a piece of crap. Yeah. Not, nothing worse is going to happen. But that's so interesting. Sorry. And I really didn't mean it to get to grief this early. <laughs> I, I literally in my head was like, don't mention the grief thing to about halfway through. <laughs> Try and hold back. Because it's described as the fire in when after death. So you feel like untouchable because it's mm. like, what what could happen? What could you possibly say that's worse than this person dying? So you you become, like you said, almost like it's very similar, but I, I'm not saying it's the same at all because I agree mm. they're different, but there's a similar vibe yeah. going on of like when you've lost someone. So people describe like, you know, they quit their job or they move country or they break up relationships. So they're like, who cares? Someone's died. Like what else could, would nothing will hurt me because I've hit my rock bottom. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's a really yeah. common thing, especially with young grievers, but it's called the fire. And like in my book, I talk about it like lasting about five years because mm. I think it takes about five years before you're like, oh, I could be hurt. I am vulnerable actually. Yeah. Whereas maybe this, I think it's what's happening to Maggie in this book as well. Like you go out and you sleep with people and you are sort of opening your heart and saying like, yeah, hit it. Who cares? It's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, who cares? So the last time I was heartbroken, I started stand up comedy. <laughs> and, 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 and absolutely everything you're saying about Maggie. And uh, I think people have respected it more if it's not just like a boy doesn't love me. <laughs> I'm going to go on stage and say I'm so unlovable. <laughs> Put a punchline on it. The fire is such an interesting word because it is a kind of manic energy that you get. I mean, you start writing poetry for the first time since you were 11. Or... I love that Maggie says that. There's yeah. one line, isn't it? Like, and I've even started writing poetry again. <laughs> what else do you do with that energy? Yeah, and yeah. Poetry really does come for us all. I think oh. <laughs> at that point, a friend of God. mine's going through a breakup right now and she was like, the poems are back out. <laughs> and I was like, that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah. It's okay. She said to another friend, and like, I could show you them if you want. And the friend so gently put a hand on the shoulder and went, I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. It's private. That's private. It's private. It's yeah. like, also long term, you'll be glad you didn't show anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to keep that in here, I mm. think. But it's sad because at the time you think, maybe this is really good poetry. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I'm a genius. It's really raw. It's and, so raw. And you think, and I didn't even have to edit it. I'm not like Wordsworth. It didn't take me eight months. <laughs> it took me n- 95 seconds <laughs> just to spew it all out. I hate him. <laughs> he hates me. <laughs> genius. Absolute genius. It's interesting that what you're talking about is like vulnerability, isn't it? That somebody can, that we have the ability to be affected so much by each other. And I know obviously, and look, don't write to me about death being important. I get it. But like <laughs> they're different things, but it is that feeling of things you thought you could trust falling apart. And obviously Maggie's marriage, she really, she you get the sense she believed in it. She really thought she wasn't like, oh, let's see what happens. You know, she was like, no, no, this is, gonna last and we're kooky crazy young people who found each other young and this is what's gonna I happen. wonder if there's something 
about that lack of cynicism that it's much more likely if it's an early relationship Mm. because if you've had two or three big loves and then you marry number four yeah (laughs) you're already built built in built in some cynicism yeah that's true wake up how's your breakfast we probably won't be together forever (laughs) so unlikely i think it's also about that late 20s period where you think and i i i find myself continually like being humbled by my own life because I keep reaching places where I'm like, oh, this is it. This yeah. will be my adult life and this is how it will stay. And obviously everyone, no, anyone thinking about it for even five seconds knows the only thing that's constant is that it's going to change constantly. But I keep reaching stages in my life where I'm like, this is the one and now it will stay here and that will be my adult life. And obviously that's not the case. And I think it, it's especially intense in your late 20s because you're like, well, I'm a grown up. I'm practically 30. <laughs> um, and if you've, you know, if if like me and like Maggie, you got married young, you're like, I'm really actually crushing being a grown up. I started being a grown up at 27, 26. Mm. Um, but this is definitely and then this is just what we're going to do. We're just going to ride this out for the rest of our lives. Um, and it can be really destabilizing to, I think, learn that everything is going to turn over like that all the time. Mm. Everything that you took to be true about life will probably only be true for a little while. I wonder if there's something about one's parents Mm -hmm. or one's parents' lives because I've always thought of adulthood as a very unattractive state (laughs) (laughs) because I have very unhappy parents. And I remember like in my 20s reading a book about it's extended neoteny was the term they were using for people who just wanted to be children forever. And it's like usually people whose parents are really miserable, they don't want anything to do with adulthood. Oh, that's interesting. So if you've got, if your parents seem stable and like they've made good decisions and they don't scream at you how much they regret having you. (laughs) One could emulate it and then find out, oh, that's not my path. Or it's even more disappointing. Obviously, I can't help but come back to grief because everything for me is grief. And that is um, like my, the lesson you're talking about, that like founding lesson of like, oh, you can't trust life, happened to me when my dad died at Mm -hmm. 15. So I'm like awful person that when I had my first heartbreak and this person was bawling their eyes out, I was like, I'm not dead. What is your problem? And I remember telling a friend that who was like, could you see that they were upset? And I was like, but I'm not dead like Mm. I could not get there because I was like you will yeah but they were like yeah but they they wouldn't have you in their life and I was like but I'm still here like Mm. you can physically see me and that for me was such a like oh right life is bullshit you can't trust it everything you think is going to change nothing is stable I think for most people it is heartbreak Mm. that kind of pulls the rug and goes which is why you know we write about it and we obsess about it and we try and understand it all the time and heartbreak I can't believe feels the same every single time Mm. like I've been through like kind of three big heartbreaks now and I keep thinking that the experience of having been through it before will mean that they aren't as bad and it's just like a a kitchen knife in the chest every single time like for months you know you can't really fast track through it which is basically the central theme of the Mm. book you just have to like have quite a bad time for as long as it takes which is I thought was such a good message because that is like the message that we say with grief these days is like you can't rush this you have to go through the pain you can't make it go away and there aren't linear stages of like oh great you're you're finding you feel slightly better than yesterday Mm -hmm. and that's going to continue happening until you're fine you break up with him january by august you'll be okay oh yeah because people try and say things to you especially when you're younger they say things like oh it's half of the time of the relationship to get over the person maggie says that one point doesn't it like so i can't be in love with simon because yeah it's too early basically (laughs) because i haven't done the number of days i need to do to be over that one it's so tempting to think there's a formula for all of it right like half the amount of time of the relationship it takes to get over and then um and then you can be ready to love someone else and it's like so often those things are overlapping where like you're still many months out of a relationship and grieving it but you maybe are getting back out there and dating mm-hmm. and then having like feelings for someone else but still processing the end of a relationship like it's it's all very messy desmond morris wrote once about how people get into relationships because we have this focus on monogamy and long-term monogamy commitment, that what happens is you have a huge breakup, which actually should take a large chunk of your life to let go of. <laughs> but society does not allow that. Mm. So you're sort of rushed into 
meeting other people when you're actually not emotionally available properly to connect with them. So you then break their heart, which means they then go and break oh. other people's hearts. And, and then he, they break their hearts. Yeah, and so and he has this sort of image of like, and that's why society is broken. <laughs> like just scattered with broken hearts everywhere because all of us yeah. are quite often starting things with people when we can't offer them what they need. I definitely remember that feeling at university of being like, we went to uni together. So I remember saying this once, I'm sure to you or our friend Vanessa, of like, either you're the arsehole or someone else is the arsehole. Like, in relationships. Do you know what I mean? Like you're saying, of like, either you, without meaning to, realise mm. that you are being the one that doesn't call, the one does this, or they are. And it's sort of like this harsh reality that that's what, that's what it is. There's never a kind yeah. of, you can't avoid it. But also you're trading it off depending on the relationship, right? Mm. Like, sometimes you have a sense of yourself as like, I'm great in a relationship because my last partner really disappointed me, but I didn't disappoint yeah, anyone. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, cut to four years later and you're like, I've been very disappointed yes, here, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. So it's just like nobody, again, you the permanence, you're like, oh, I'm a good, I'm a good relationship person. And then you find yourself doing exactly what someone's done to you. And you're like, oh, I see why they did that. Yeah. Life is a lot more sort of like loose clothes in the washing machine vibe than you would hope yeah you yeah, would hope yeah. there was a bit more order to it but I don't think there is I don't think there is and that's what I mean like coming back to death like there isn't Mm-mm. shit just happens and sometimes people are just awful to you and and I think the thing that used to drive me mad is you get with your girlfriends and you obsess why they did it they did it because their parents or mm-hmm. this and this and actually sometimes people are just shit there's no rhyme or reason to it you can't justify it something that I thought was really interesting with John and Maggie is that the breakup you think you might have mm. might not actually be the breakup you can offer. Mm. So um, they initially are in quite good communication, but then he really shuts oh, her I off. I was very annoyed with him for that. Very annoyed. Very annoyed. And when you find so out how much she's actually trying to talk to him as well. Yeah, and oh. it's not unreasonable to need to it's talk to someone. Yeah, it's not unreasonable to want to, <laughs> to, to, want to discuss the cat, the cat that yeah. they share. You know, economic things, stuff shared friendships don't cut me off yeah <laughs> i'm not an addict but i did used to live with you and see yeah. you every day also apparently heartbreak is like addiction they've done yeah. studies and it's mm. like um it's like emotionally equivalent to heroin withdrawal mm. like it's very intense you are actually like feeling cravings for the other person There's this like assumption that obviously it's just like my diary from when I went through a breakup. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask that because <laughs> it, because people really love the whole idea that a writer really knows what they're writing about. Mm-hmm. But then there's, there's such a double-edged sword. Yeah, when it's like the author's photograph and like who also got divorced. I know. <laughs> my mom basically thinks the book is like a documentary that I made about my life. <laughs> um, but what I wanted to do with it, I think, creatively was basically like it was so important to me during my divorce to try and be the best behaved divorced person in the world um I don't know why and I think I kind of like denied myself a certain amount or delayed a certain amount of emotional processing by not being angry or super sad or even intense um maybe when I wanted to so a lot Mm -hmm. of the the book is based on like emotional impulses that I had Mm -hmm. but it's like what would it have been like if I had called every time that I wanted to yeah yeah. you know what would it have been like if I was as selfish as I felt and and kind of wanted to be it's like a nightmare version of the divorce if I had like (laughs) no coping mechanisms at all was suspicious of therapy and acted as crazy as I was feeling inside instead of kind of like sitting in my house going crazy by myself I love that reveal spoiler alert obviously we listen to this podcast that when she finally does get therapy and we do hear John and John reveals what shit Maggie's been doing (laughs) yeah and because you are really on Maggie's side and you're like, he should call out. This is dreadful. Yeah. And then when he's like, yeah, then the voicemail started and you sang that whole song. And then she's and like... And the food delivery. The food delivery. <laughs> and you do... That's a really nice moment where like, like when you've been so supportive of your friend and you're like, he's an arsehole. And then you're like, you did what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh God, I don't know how to defend you now because that's crazy. So um, in our personal life, Carriad and I, the breakup that made me start stand-up comedy, <laughs> I was actually living in her house with her and her mum. Okay. And so while Carriad's not an older lady who's my my boss at university (laughs) there was a similarity in that you have quite a kind person i i related to meris yes yeah i i've got i'm an internal meris looking at someone being quite self-destructive yeah i remember once (laughs) i was having a nice cry on your kitchen floor after a couple of bottles it's so of white good wine. to be on the floor I don't yeah. know why it's the kitchen you as well there's something down. That's guys my... they say the same thing in grief they do say they? yeah that's why like knees don't work in grief 
Oh. Yeah, your knees collapse. People fall to the floor. It's something about grounding. Your body's trying to ground you to literally be like, you're okay. You're trying to find the earth. And they recommend like, take your shoes off, walk on the earth, sit down. It's a human thing that's saying, everything that's happened to you is so overwhelming and emotional. Your body needs to know like, oh, where am I? You I'm are. still here. I'm just like, okay, gravity's got me. Yeah. <laughs> no I'm, one else likes me. I'm still me. on the ground. Yeah. I'm a thing that lives here. This is who I am. God, so it's like yoga in a way. Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm so attracted. I was going to say, yeah, my third breakup, uh, that was the last one, is I went to Costa Rica to a yoga retreat. Oh, and huge. that's, I think, with the financial differences in my breakups, <laughs> mm-hmm. that the last one I had a bit of money and I could finally do the sort yeah. of white woman pampers. I took myself to Portugal recently. Same thing. I was like, you know what? I'm not 27 this time. I'm going to go to Portugal. But then you're just feeling all the same crazy feelings. You were feeling alone in your bad apartment at 27, except you're in Portugal. And the hotel has sent up a full bottle of champagne and chocolate dipped strawberries for just you. I don't know why they did that. It was was depressing. (laughs) I I, I would love it if there was a sort of conversation in Portuguese about, you know, (laughs) that lady looked so sad. Why do we only give chocolate colored strawberries to happy couples? Yeah, she why don't we give them to sad single people? Yeah. The concierge's note said, I am here for you. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, you were saying so, you so found me on, I found really, you on the floor. So, and, so Cariad really did try in that way that people who genuinely care about you, which you cannot, I mean, I couldn't bear at the time. Oh, no, you don't she care about, not good to be looked after. You don't care after. about yourself very much. She gets really, really angry if you try, and, about. If you try mm-hmm. and care her. Of course. So and furious. so, you know, on the floor, drunk. But just you sort of like, well, maybe... Do you think maybe going out and drinking all this wine with boys who do stand-up comedy is the best <laughs> the best way ahead for you? Because you don't seem to be very happy. I think yeah, I think James to... Corden had dropped a glass of wine on oh, me that God, night. That was a bad night, yeah. You did get yourself into a bit of a state. <laughs> maybe have some toast or something, soak it up. Just such a sensible. And that's how I felt about her boss at, at work. You know, you give people so much leeway. But if they're in a self-destructive state, they're still going to do something Yeah, wrong. there's no rescuing. And again, that's a lesson we all have to learn. Yeah. Like with yeah. your friends, you can't, people just got to go through it. And you just have to, same with grief, you just got to wait for them to be there. You can't fix it. You can't make it better. You can't put a plaster on it. If they need yeah. to get drunk and sit on the floor, that's what they need but to do. But what you hope happens with age is that the next time... Mm. You do notice that person cares about me. Listen to what that person is saying. Yeah, hopefully. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) That was what was kind of fun to play with, I think, is like just the true car crash of your first major, major heartbreak. Mm. Because like, it's, they're so uh, wily heartbroken people because they just want to be on the floor drunk, being self-destructive, but they're kind of clever about it. Like, I feel like, um, they ask for advice. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's only yeah. because they want to talk about it. Oh, yeah. They want to talk. They just want to talk about it. They don't want to listen. Do it. And you yeah. you learned that lesson. Wow, we had a really good chat. We already yeah. agreed we were going to stop the drinking and have toast. What's that door slam? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, but she's we, back out. Corden's in a yeah, taxi. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're like, but we agreed. Like a feral cat out yeah. the window. I learned. I learned. But I also wonder if that's part of a, how your brain helps you su- survive. There's this line that I loved that you wrote, Monica. Um, when she's actually wondering if she's flourishing. Oh, yes, I'm thriving. She's, yeah. she's sort of walking in the moonlight. And actually, if you consider yourself from a different angle, maybe <laughs> this is. Um, and, and I think that's what your brain does to you when you're heartbroken, is that you have these extremes, actually euphoric extremes. Yes. Of like, I've got no skin on, but this might be the most alive I've ever been. The most I understand Pablo Neruda. And (laughs) actually, I think if I was prime minister, I could save everyone because I see things so clearly. Maybe I was sublime right now, walking in the moonlight of my glorious, complicated self. Oh, this was about a man. I stopped the kissing almost immediately. Sleeping with the man who had read Neruda at our wedding seemed like it would be very satisfying in a way that felt vulgar and dangerous. But it was certainly not the mature way of doing things. See? The little colonel of don't do that. Well, she does it later. She does it later. She just does it later. But that's what you... But as a friend, you're like, see, you didn't do it straight away. Well done, you. (laughs) Yes, you slept with him later. But you... There's a part of you... You knew it was wrong when you were doing it. And I guess that's something. That's self-awareness. But yeah, and I think, again, it comes down to like human vulnerability. Like when you are smashed to pieces, there is an aliveness to that because you are at your most raw self and that's why you are sort of weirdly untouchable and you can and it feels better than numbness yeah which can be part of the stages of it and you do get really open in a way that I wish I could access a little bit outside Mm. of being smashed to pieces like my my ex-boyfriend said that the most positive thing was that music 
he always loved music and loves music, but music became so amazing. Oh, yeah. And then it starts to fade as you get better. <laughs> and it's like, oh, God, I wish I'd just keep that aspect of it where every song was written for him. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And, he, uh, and he was the only person who truly understood. There's a lot of adrenaline, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot mm. of like, because it's like something is broken, so your body is panicking, like this is, this is gone, what do I do? And then in that, you sort of, when you have adrenaline, you feel like this center of something there is a such a pain to that but also an, an aliveness to that which I think you see with Maggie a lot that she's kind of like this is I feel a lot of stuff yeah it's not great but I'm definitely feeling everything's very vivid and intense yeah, and also yeah. probably you're reading that line you quoted mm. Sarah like you're reading a lot of self-help books yeah. and like <laughs> yeah. poems so you get into that kind of elevated sort of Glennon Doyle type language mm. a little bit where you're like I guess I am kind of a warrior <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that's where karaoke comes in? <laughs> you need it. It's got to be there. It's a real, I think it is. I think the karaoke fantasy thing is very real. That's a real thought that I had during my divorce was like, maybe I will go to the right karaoke place and sing the right song and he'll see it and it will undo every hurt we've done to each other yeah. and we'll both know and we'll make eye contact and it'll be like a star is born. Um, it was deranged, like magical thinking, grandiosity, I don't like think craziness. It's that deranged because someone I know <laughs> I fell out with someone that they know. So this is two women who are very good friends but then Sinead O'Connor died and one of them sang a Sinead O'Connor song and the other one was there and then at the end went up and hugged her and they both cried. Oh, women are so intense. I love <laughs> yes. us. Yeah. I love it so much. So I, I think that fantasy is based on a kernel of truth. It's just very, very rare. You're talking, okay. Yeah, two women friendships, I can believe, would use yeah. that. Do so you think the... straight men are the problem? Yeah, but maybe. they don't understand the love language of karaoke. <laughs> they love karaoke, but the songs that they love at karaoke aren't going to hit yeah. in that mm. I think it's a media problem that, you know, like you've seen that in a film that make a mm. great romantic comedy. That's a great sitcom moment where like oh, it's going to be okay. The narrativizing. Yeah, and yeah. our bot like that's what you know that's what we're always trying to do with pain is put a narrative on it and we're always trying to find the end where the credits roll and yeah. we feel better and actually what this book does so brilliantly with heartbreak and what all grief psychologists recommend is that you have to learn to live with it like it's not you don't get the credits rolling you don't mm. get the moment where you're like high five it's over and he runs towards <laughs> yeah. me and he's like I've got the cat I'm so sorry like yeah. and that's what I liked about this book as well you constantly pulling that rug of like we don't she's not what she needs she doesn't need to have that karaoke moment like yeah. or as a therapist said you need to have a relationship like have a relationship with yourself ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I wanted to resist there being too much, like, linear plot because Mm. it's not you know healing's not linear i don't know why i'm saying that in a funny voice it's mm. true <laughs> it's also embarrassing it's embarrassing yeah. right and that's the i think the big thing of of the book is like it is a little embarrassing to take your feelings seriously mm. and to process something like a heartbreak or a loss like that you have to and she's kind of resisting the most of the book is about a woman running at full speed away away from painful feelings and away from having to have that relationship with herself yeah um through fantasy, through classes, through sex, through the other work. fantasy that I really loved, and it made me think a lot about how busy he must be in fantasy. Is Harry Styles. <laughs> Harry Styles <laughs> <'Cause laughs> is so good. It's so good. It's so good. And he's so such funny. a perfect fantasy fodder because he's so high status. Mm-hmm. But also, he's not so. I think he's not so sexually aggressive that it's. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's like there's something sort of like puckish about yeah. him. Yeah. But no, like, he looks like someone's got their dog dressed. This <laughs> is, he does. <laughs> but he's the coolest person in the world. Yeah, because and it's also, like, we don't know him. We're projecting everything oh, yeah. onto him. But his spirit, you feel like there's a mischievous spirit about it that that feels like yes he would protect a heartbroken woman that's the thing it's like you need we needed like a famous person like a a sexy rock star person but a lot of sexy rock star people seem like they would be bad boyfriends yeah yeah the other reason that it's harry styles is because his album came out right before Uh, uh, i got divorced and so i and we had booked this month-long trip my husband and i and then we divorced or broke up before and i was like i'm just gonna go by myself and I was just walking around Iceland in June where the sun didn't set, <laughs> listening to Harry Styles' album over and over again. And a madness took over me where I was just like, I wonder when I will meet him. Mm. Not like, I wonder what it would be like to no, meet him. No, I wonder when, what he's like. Yeah. Where will it be? And then a year later, I was in New York City. No, Monica. And I had left my credit card at a bar the night before because I was young and alive. And I had to go back to the bar um, to get it. And when I went into the bar, it was like this dive bar on the Lower East Side. It was the same vibe as last night, but everyone was being very quiet. And I was oh like, this God. is very strange. Oh my God. And then I was waiting to pay for the thing. And I looked over and I was like, that man playing pool is very handsome. And it was Harry Styles in the dive bar. And for like a very gorgeous and deluded like 30 seconds, my brain was like, well, well, well. <laughs> well, well, well. It finally Harry happened. Harry Styles is going to make a choice tonight that's going to surprise both of us. Um, obviously, that's not what happened. I just sort of stared at him playing pool. Um, and then he had an argument with a model outside and oh, left. It sounds I, like he's trying to get your attention. Yeah. <laughs> Why was it? he there? He must have What known. was the row about? Yeah. Why don't you let me win at pool anymore? Oh, you're trying to impress her uh, by the The woman bar. from all your fantasies is here. <laughs> book is internationally successful. I'm just a model. Yes, you don't appreciate my new album. Yeah. <laughs> Maggie Googles, what's wrong with Geminis? Oh, the real psychos of the zodiac. Some people have said in your book, it's you. But you said you're a Gemini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what. It, yeah. That's why I'm asking both of you. It's tough out here. Did you not recognise one of your kin speaking? <laughs> it's very hard. That's what people are saying. <laughs> I, Who, I think who's it's, saying that? You've never uh, told me this. You know that. No. You don't know that by yourself. I, I thought it was the best. What a Gemini thing Kylie not to know. Minogue. What a Gemini Katie thing. Katie Price, me and Monica, <laughs> are you- Naomi Campbell. Come on. Oh, oh no. What a list. These are your examples. Katie Price and Naomi Campbell. Okay, sorry. Do we put it all out there? Yes, we do. Are we vulnerable and really arrogant at the same time? Yes. What is not brilliant about what you're hearing? It's not brilliant. It's not that it's not brilliant. But psychos of the Zodiac. Psychos? Mm. Psychos don't empathise. We over-empathise. We empathise enough for all 12 signs. <laughs> Winners of the Zodiac. Yes. The best. Winners. <laughs> better than all the other signs. Hey, as the king... As the king. As the king. Okay, Leo. Mm. Okay, Okay, Leos have nice hair. That's what everyone says about Leos. I've told you to your face. You didn't tell me about them. (laughs) Everyone said that's very well known. That's very well known. Gemini's are crazy. I love them. My faves. Gemini's and Leos together. Do you know this? Great glamour. Everyone knows Gemini's. And then you listed Naomi Campbell and Katie Price as your Katie Price. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
Not a lot of people that I would go to first with a problem. Not maybe. a lot of people who would be like, hey, I'm here to bring reality to the situation. Yeah. Oh, beige, boring people. Oh, how dare the, you? the sofas of the Zodiac. <laughs> well, sometimes when someone's drunk on the floor, they need to hear things. <laughs> I'm glad I asked that question. And now, well, now we know. I had a confession, just and this is jumping around completely. Oh, yeah. I didn't find out till page 63 that John had a beard. Mm. And it made me realise <laughs> and it made me realise that I oh. visualise all men as clean shaven. You know that you talk about that the platonic idea. Really? I would never imagine a beard unless mm. it had been signposted. I think all those So I had to like draw it on with my face <laughs> in my head. I had to sort of go, okay, okay. With a biro. Yep. I think I have met Monica's actual ex husband. But as you having met him, then you would know that the the description in the book is essentially just an opposite. I wanted the ex-husband character. He features very minimally in the book. I think because I I knew that people would assume that it was about me. Mm. And I really was, I'm fine with that, but I'm not fine with people making kind of like assumptions that they can know or understand anything about my ex-partner. But also to mostly leave him out of it because what I wanted to write about was the experience of being suddenly alone mm. rather than dissecting, you know, yeah, a relationship. It's not about a relationship. Yeah. yeah. So much, yeah, that's so, true. so many relations, so many like breakup books end up being relationship books because they're about what went wrong and if the relationship could have been saved and who's to blame and all of those, all of those kinds of big stories that you have at the end of a relationship that are still part of the relationship dying. And I kind of wanted to start, with like, this is over, this has been over for a little bit. And that's why I think it's griefy. Because yeah. it's not a breakup book, as in like, oh, now we're going to like go into, he did this or he slept with her, da, 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 which is not very griefy. Mm-hmm. But it is somebody who is bereft and have been left and is left alone. And yes. that's why there's a lot of griefiness in there. Love griefiness mm-hmm. over death griefiness. But like, it is somebody who's very much lost something. And that's what, yeah. Yeah, you imagine absence. A clean shaven absence. <laughs> Something else I thought so illustrative of characters' interaction with the world and themselves is their relationship to food, mm. which I think you write about. It's really funny and really truthful, but also really, really well in terms of it's so tempting with a heartbreaking character to just have them starve themselves or yeah. deny themselves or punish themselves. Mm. But you allowed us to know a little bit about Maggie's history with food as well Mm. as her current relationship with food, but she's not broken in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just had read so many novels about women wasting away to nothing. And it's like a very, I I understand that that is a real, both a realistic thing and like a very potent metaphor Mm. for someone making themselves smaller. Um, And then you kind of have yourself in this double bind where you're like, I know that this is a result of bullshit social pressures, but I still feel crushed by those pressures Mm. and want to respond to them and don't quite know how. But I love how you talk about it because what you make clear is that, I mean, we must forgive ourselves. I'm quoting you back to yourself, but no one has a completely healthy relationship with food and exercise, at least not anyone who came of age during the period when the cover story of every supermarket tabloid was some variation on this beach hag has cellulite. (laughs) It's like, it's not a lot of it's not our fault. Yeah, yeah. So if you're not one of those people who's completely... (laughs) Yeah, healthy in that regard. But I think it's yeah. so interesting because I think it's such a human reaction. But there is also a relationship of I am broken, I'm in pain, therefore I'm not going to nurture myself. Mm. And part and food is nurturing, and it's not healthy. It's not great. But I love that it was dealt with in a. That's not the story. Mm. That's not like oh my god, yeah, she's disappearing because a man has broken her. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and this other is a way people, that people cope. Other people that again that really I think hackneyed, but it does happen. They know how terribly you are internally. You know, you're a size 10 now. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to get a compliment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, that's the good positive, side of yeah. it. Revenge. Oh, God. Revenge yes. bodies. Yeah. There's the whole idea that that's your only power afterwards. Well, she says that her friend is like waiting for the, what's he called when you have to go for the meeting, like the last divorce thing. And her friend is like, I'm when he sees me, like I'm getting ready for yeah. the... Yeah. Whatever, that's the official word for it, isn't it? Like, is it Amy who's like preparing herself for, mm-hmm. oh, when he sees me, like mm-hmm. he's going to... Well, and that's the thing is like, you feel so, I think it's very, I don't know if this is a grief analog as well, but it's like, you just feel sort of hyper visible. Mm. It's like everyone knows that you're going through this embarrassing thing, especially I think after a wedding, which is so public Mm. and you make such a a literal spectacle of yourselves and your love and you agreed in front of everyone that you would try forever. Mm. And then you broke that promise to each other and sort of your whole community, right? Mm. By 
promising to do this thing that you then couldn't do. And I think the temptation then if everyone's looking is to kind of shine yourself up a bit in this very conventional way the instagram stuff as a pr exercise because it's the visibility of coping yeah yes uh or winning yeah i mean the paranoia that sneaks in when you're heartbroken i think is that everyone's looking at you and judging you and like the problem with instagram is that that is then is true Mm. like your 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 darkest kind of worries are realized on that platform and like i think everyone's guilty of it i've definitely been the person who was like, you know, she hasn't really posted that guy in a while. And yeah. suddenly it's been three hours. You're on his cousin's Instagram. <laughs> Girlfriend was nowhere to be seen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you have the so much more information than yeah. you used to. This is so, it's so funny when you're saying, um, Nobody on Instagram was intense. They focused on the positive and owned milk frothers. From what I could gather, men loved women who were creative but not interesting. Women loved women who knew how to style 12 different earrings per lobe. <laughs> I was like, yes! I wish. How do they do it? My wish, my Such greatest wish. Such good styling wish. on those lobes and so many piercings and they all seem fine with it. How much you can peer into someone's life is new. and That's definitely not what we had. But also that we think we can manipulate or trick. Yeah. Um, sometimes when people are <laughs> faking wellness mm. they use a lot of hashtags yeah oh yeah far yeah. too many mm, yeah uh, the hashtag happy <laughs> hashtag happy alone uh, i'm reading more into that yeah <laughs> i feel happy. like you can tell on instagram now at, the, at this stage i can tell on instagram not just when someone's going through a breakup but right before they're about to go through mm. a breakup oh wow that is a really they good get superpower philo- they get, no they get very philosophical on those um the, yeah. what, the captions get longer yeah they get long and they get very philosophical and hey you know i've been thinking they start posting the partner a lot what we've been through and what we but looking back together i can see how far we've come and i know uh, we'll always have each other despite the bumps in the road so if you're listening yeah. look at your own instagram <laughs> yeah it's ben affleck's oscar speech where he's like jen thank you for putting up with me red flag and then was like, marriage is a lot of, of work. It's like, you don't need to say, everyone knows yeah. that. And do you think she told him to say that? Like if Jennifer you, Garner is an Aries. Lopez is a Leo. Oh. That makes sense. <laughs> and this is why people tune into literary podcasts, I think. <laughs> Affleck is a Leo. Oh. Two li- well, Two how Leos could the together. Aries compete with that? Affleck and Lopez. Yeah. Affleck is what I call him. Affleck. <laughs> he got that huge Phoenix tattoo all over his back, which is some of the most divorced behavior I've ever seen. Wow. wow. It's a full back piece of a Phoenix. Full back. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. Where were his friends then? It's a great question. Where was the other one? Yeah. Matt, what's it? You're making me feel more compassionate towards my husband because he got divorced just yes. before we got married and he didn't want to get married. He had to for citizenship. Oh, yeah. Classic. <laughs> but he, he went through quite a big struggle about it because he'd had a big wedding less than two years or maybe two and a half years previously. Mm. And it was, you know, the big deal, the proper, you know, planning and speeches and his dad cried. There's, there's a huge amount of guilt afterwards, which I've just sort of shrugged at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I remember... Because when, I didn't value it. I don't value marriage. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. You have such mm. a different... Because I'm still a child. Yeah, <laughs> right. You never wanted the fast. You're not I'm a Gemini. Got, Every day is my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my theory is that if we if we culturally agreed that 30th birthdays were as big an event as a wedding, like everyone had to come, maybe they had to come to Greece. Yeah. And everyone would get really dressed up mm. and you get your hair and makeup professionally done. Everyone would do speeches about how you were a genius on the right path in life and give you a bit of money. I think we would have a lot fewer marriages. Or, or just if we all got a bit more attention. Because I think, <laughs> I, what I, honest, and I honestly reaction. think it's an attention thing. <laughs> yeah. The wedding, when people talk about what it is, it's like the day is about me. It is my day. Mm-hmm. It's like, but it dep- I didn't feel like that. No. Yeah. And I never wanted it Because to- you have a job that involves getting lots of yeah, attention. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. True, yeah. Performers already, it's like how actors don't love fancy dress parties. Yeah, that's true. I didn't feel like at my wedding. I wasn't like, I want everyone to look at me. I was like, I don't want you to look at me. Get no, it done. You weren't attention seeking at all, were you? The opposite of my real life. <laughs> Whereas me and my friend Vanessa wrote them a song and then we cried too much to sing it. Oh. They cried so much that I was worried about them. Like a mum, I had to be like, you People were bringing us tissues. That's at, so nice. At my wedding. They look, they're like sobbing. She can't finish the song. Her voice is cracking. <laughs> and like, if it was friends, someone would have said, Stop stealing her thunder. Right. But I didn't mind because I didn't want the thunder, so no. it's fine. If it had been a play, <laughs> I would have been furious. <laughs> People love to ask me if I like weddings still. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yes. But are your friends afraid to invite you? Because that slamming bit at the end where she like destroys weddings from beginning to end. I would be like, oh, Monica's going to judge our invite so badly. Monica's going to judge our Instagram post of the rings. Like, I'm sorry, we're so basic. Like, I'd be really worried. Yeah, I hadn't thought that. I didn't think about that really. 
Um, I've completely forgot about extreme makeover programs. And how have I forgotten? They're one of those things that you revisit as well. And it's more, it's more mad than you th- think. Yeah. Those shows where it was like, this person's so ugly. Mm. And Ten then, years and younger, they, they used to take them out to the shopping centre. And then you talk to their family who will say, yeah, their life would be better if they were less ugly. Yeah. And then they had surgery. Yeah, lots and those, of surgery. Yeah, and those things have started being on TV. And then the ending of the show is, thank fuck for that, they look better. Yeah. We didn't have a choice but to absorb that now. I watched yeah. that with my mum. Like, that's normal telly. Yeah. I know, it's insane. It's insane. Well, like the thing that's doing the rounds at the moment of um, Bridget Jones, of like, when they used we to, were told that she picture, was fat. We were told she was fat, and that was like, we were oh, told she ate twenty donuts a day to get <laughs> to get to that get ridiculously yeah. fat. And I remember seeing that, reading it, and seeing the picture, and going, "Okay, that's what fat is." Bridget oh, Jones' yeah, diet, yeah. which is like you know, two cigarettes, yeah. two glasses of wine, and the calories were listed at every entry, yes. right? Yeah, like, and that was like funny. That was a funny, that funny thing. realism. You know, women. Yeah. I feel <laughs> like it's, it's a little strange right now because people are sort of revisiting Bridget Jones's diary and being like, "This is so uh, messed up." of Bridget the character mm. and I'm like surely that's a larger conversation about the culture that that character yeah, existed I don't think you within can, like, again you shouldn't blame the woman in this situation she, she, yeah she was a hugely successful character because she reflected back yeah. everything women were being told yeah. yeah and so had internalized it was an incredible characterization of what we were made to have as inner monologues and much like a media conversation because there was I remember before that film even came out there was so much about secret shots of her walking along in the Playboy bunny outfit mm. and see how fat she's got basically yeah. like it was and that must have been a PR campaign but like you know they make documentaries now about how Britney Spears was treated by the press oh god mm. yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah partly it's because we were relatively young at that point but also because things just started happening and we didn't know to question them yet. I think that's what's so brilliant about this book and I think obviously why it's been so successful, you are capturing, especially with that, like you said, the way we're talking about relationships and Instagram, social media is a particular point in time and a particular... And I do feel like I'm slightly older than it, but I I can totally relate to it. And I must be women reading this being like, fuck, that's my life. Like, that's how I felt. That's what I've been doing through my heartbreak. That's what how my friends have been like fed up of me and having to go to therapy. It's like you've you've really captured it, which is, I say that it's like, it's not easy to do that, to like sense what everyone's doing and do it funny. It's really funny. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> Just want to say, that's what she's done. She's done it well. She raised this kid well. So I have a question. No, go on. Yeah, it's about don't. success. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because no, I'm always question. intrigued. From your show, <laughs> What's success. What's success like? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Externally, it seems like it's done absolutely brilliantly in both of the best ways, which is people thinking it's really good and lots of people reading and engaging with it. The two main. Does, does it feel like things. that to you? I was just saying yesterday, because I just came back from the Edinburgh Book Festival, where I met some people who had read it, that that was such a treat because... You write it, especially, I mean, I wrote it during COVID, but I think writing is kind of a solitary thing in general. Um, <laughs> you went extra solitary. It's always COVID. Yeah, yeah. It's, you're sort of manufacturing the conditions of a lockdown for yeah. yourself. It, it feels a little abstract to me <laughs> that people have read it. Like friends will sometimes send a creepy pic that they've taken of someone reading it on the subway or whatever. Yeah. And that feels very exciting. I think if I saw, I haven't seen someone read it yet i went to the airport when i was going on that mm. mad woman solo trip to portugal and it was in the airport bookstore and i lingered for so long with a wow. tiny perverted little smile on my face <laughs> just like thinking i might see someone pick it up <laughs> sad behavior just had to leave with my big water and my magazine um so i think it feels quite abstract but you must have this with your work too like you do it and you you it's not possible really to have a real sense of the it feels embarrassing to me still when people are like, congratulations, it's doing really mm. well. I'm like, it, I hope so. I hope that's true. But I also hope not to know anymore. I think that's why I ask, mm. because I hope, I assume that there's something very human about, you know, the really exciting thing is the creative process. Mm-hmm. And then the bit where people can actually engage with it is quite odd. But I know one man who does comedy who punches the air after good gigs. Oh. So there must be another human reaction. How can you feel like that about literally anything in life? It's, like, it's very moving when somebody says, the book spoke to me. I find that very touching and I feel really lucky. I think it's hard because you want to protect yourself from yeah. any particular goal or outcome other mm-hmm. than making something that you you personally like and feel proud of and stand behind. Um 
but it is nice. And then obviously the main thing is that sort of girls going through a cuckoo time will mm. uh, trust me with their uh, heartbroken secrets. Yeah. I think with success, it's my theory, not I know enough about it, but that there's the feeling when something goes well, which is a sort of weird numb feeling. And there's a feeling yeah, when it doesn't go well. It. The feeling yeah. it doesn't go well, you're very aware of. That's a that's because if you, you have, if that you have too much of the numb, it's going well. You're like, well, I don't know. Everything feels strange. And then when nothing doesn't go well, you're like, oh, there it is. Mm. There it is. Oh, I I can feel that. And mm. then you're like, actually, bring back that numb feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that numb a little bit more. But it's like I find it hard to let myself make them equal. Yes. Like if it doesn't go well, I, I'm on the floor. I feel terrible. But if it goes well, I don't go. Well, here's me punching the air because yeah. that's the opposite. I'm like. Let's not get too excited. Yeah. Someone might die. I think other people focus on the good things and you focus on the bad things. Yeah. People will be like, congratulations on the novel. And I'll be like, the he- headline for the Telegraph review was um, really bad, actually. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. She, oh, yeah. Honestly, it was kind of a thrill to be panned okay, one wow, time. Wow. One solid yeah, pan. In the Telegraph. Yeah. Like, if you can imagine that's not yeah. your paper. It was all right. Yeah, it was all It's right. like Drag Race. When one of the queens is like, I'm just always safe and I want to know what they think of me. And you're like, you don't. You, you don't, don't want that. You don't want that. And then they get torn. You're like, yeah. just stay safe. But it's so, because I interviewed an author who, to me, when I was Googling, trying to, you know, pull stuff together for an interview, it's just su- such brilliant reviews. And like, the first mm. thing I said was like, God, it's been so critically acclaimed. And he was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that thing of perception of like, I was like, to me, looking for mm. you, yes. not being able to find you know, straight away having to search for it, it was all positive. And he mm. was like, no, there was this one and this one. It's like, you always, it's so frustrating that that's what the human brain but clings to. But that's why I think you have to just like put caref- some careful dist padding yes. between you and any kind of reception like that. Particularly if you want to try and write another one, which is what yes. I'm doing now. Yes. Yes. How's um, that going? It's going okay. I, I had sort of a uh, did you have to get divorced again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to. Um, I had to engineer a long relationship and then explode that. Oh, um, <laughs> he gave him the warning. Right, this is not going to last. Listen, this is for book two. <laughs> I did sign a two book deal. Uh, <laughs> we normally end on a quote. I had a one quote which I just liked. You do yours and then I'll do mine. It was just Meris. It was just. I just thought it was a brilliant line. Oh, Maggie, she said, we're not friends. We're two people having a hard time. (laughs) It just was like, yeah, yeah, loved it. I've written down, although my personal life was in a shambles, my tweets about it were doing great. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes. Sometimes that's the best you can hope for. And you are great on Twitter. I recommend a follow. It's an amazing book. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you for bringing your book baby along. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Weirdos Book Club. You can find Monica on Twitter and Instagram. Monica Heisey, that's H-E-I-S-E-Y. And her book, Really Good Actually, will be out in paperback from the 28th of September. Or you can buy it in hardback straight away. Sarah's brand new debut novel, Weirdo, is also available for pre-order now. Head to your favourite, coolest, most brilliant bookseller ASAP and your copy will whisper your postbox as soon as it's out, making you the most organised, cool reader in town. Carriad's book, You Are Not Alone, is also available, really excitingly, in bookshops. Let's support them, the taxpaying ones. For eager beavers, get ready for next week. Our book guest will be The Pumpkin Eater by Penelope Mortimer, if you want to read along. And don't forget, next week we have our first live show. We will be discussing Sarah's new book, Weirdo, along with Chaparat Corsandi and Emma-Jane Unsworth at 21 Soho in London on the 6th of September. Head to plosive.co.uk to get your tickets now. Thank Thank you for reading with us. We We like like reading with you. Hi, I'm Lucy Beaumont. And guess what? I'm Sam Campbell. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy our podcast. It's called Lucy and Sam's Perfect Brains. We have a podcast and uh, it might be, uh, I probably don't want to sound, um, you know, like I'm bragging. But it's dynamite. It is electric. It's high voltage. And please, we really need you to listen. You don't understand how much we need this. Is it on all the platforms? Oh, it absolutely is. But um, yeah, this one is coming. This one's out now. Lucy and Sam's Perfect Brands.